you for your name that brings strength and anointing to us. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and lift up your voice at the same time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and declare his greatness and his goodness. I thank you, Lord, and praise you and worship you. Amen. Magnify you and thank you for your many, many blessings. Praise God. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord here tonight. If you have your Bible, say amen. Praise God. We're going to open them to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 19. And we'll be reading uh, several verses there, verse 19 through verse number 27. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law as without law being not without law to God but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without law to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some and this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want to speak to you for a few moments here tonight on this subject, checks and balances. Checks and balances. There are some governing elements in the saints' life that are very, very important, and they are checks and balances to us and so we want the word to be a strength to us here tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a foundation and a strength to us. It is what gives to us a worldview. It gives to us understanding. It gives to us direction. It gives to us purpose. It provides to us destiny. And so we stand upon it and we give many, many thanks to you for it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Checks and balances. God has given us a method of checks and balances to keep us in the truth. Anyone thankful for the truth? Praise God. I said, anyone thankful for the truth? Amen. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. And so God brings to us the truth that sets us free, and God brings to us redemption. He takes us out of situations and circumstances, and he saves us. We should be thankful for salvation as well. I'm thankful that he redeems us from the hand of the enemy, but he also saves us. And so I'm thankful for salvation. So our future success and salvation in the end hinge upon heeding God's spiritual and biblical controls in our life. There are some checks and balances that operate in our life. No one 
This is very, very important. No one can make us submit. You can't be coerced into living for God. There must be a willingness and an obedience on our part for God's methods to be effective in our life. Unteachable, rebellious, stubborn, self-willed attitudes spell ultimate doom. And so we have to come to God with a humbleness and a submissiveness to recognize both minister and saint that in order to be successful spiritually, there has to be some elements of God in our life. There are some checks and balances. These guidelines are not just throwaway items. They are guidelines that are essential for spiritual survival. We're not turned loose under grace to pursue our own whims and ways, but there are disciplines, there are controls, there are guidelines, there are teachers and instructors in order for God to grow us and in order to grow the kingdom. So we have to recognize that God's got a divine mandate. There's a structure. There is a plan. We're not running out here on our own. But God has placed some things in our life to achieve balance and harmony and growth. And I want balance in my life. Praise God. This verse that we read, Paul said, you got to keep yourself temperate in all things. There's got to be some balance in your life. Not only balance, but there's got to be some harmony in your life where things are connected and there, there is a harmony in operation in your life. And then there is growth. Amen. The church is all about growth. If we're not here to grow, then what are we doing here in the house of God? We've missed our purpose. But if we are growing as disciples in the Lord, then God is accomplishing some things in us. He's maturing us. He's making us complete. And so there are checks and balances to help us, to aid us, to be successful in living for God. I don't think you're here tonight because you want to be unsuccessful in living for God. I think you're here tonight because you want to grow in Jesus Christ, grow in the kingdom, and see God do great things. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. That's what it's all about. Amen. That is what it is all about. We see this in other areas of life, even in our own uh, republic, our democratic Republic, we have some constitutional structures. There's an executive branch, there's a legislative branch, there, there are the judicial branches of government, and as long as they're working in their assigned roles and they complement each other, they help to prevent imbalance and dictatorship. And so even in an institution like that, living for God is much the same way where there are checks and balances in our life to help us be what God wants us to be. He does not turn his people loose to conscience alone or any other factor. And while he grants to us some liberty, he has also established some restrictions for our protection. What determines our liberty? Who or what gives direction to us? These are good questions. How far can we go and how much can we do? Who or what 
has authority to give like guidelines for our lives. There are some very important elements, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, because God gives to us some checks and balances. And the first one that I want to talk about here tonight is the Word of God. I'm thankful for the Word of God. If we didn't have the Word of God, then what would we be doing and how would we be operating what would be our foundation and our strength? It's the word of God that provides the foundation. It's the word of God that provides the strength. It is the sword. It is an offensive weapon. It's how we understand God and recognize his plan to us. And so the word of God becomes very, very important. This is why we read it. This is why we meditate upon it. This is why we memorize it because there are moments in our spiritual walk when the enemy tries to attack us just like he did Jesus when Jesus Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and experienced difficulty. The enemy comes to him and starts tempting him. And Jesus responded by quoting the scripture. When difficulties come your way and there are temptations that come your way, it's the word of God that brings strength to you. And you start quoting a scripture back and there is power and authority that is connected to it. It's not just a book on the shelf. But it is power and it is authority. It's a guide. It's preeminent. God would be unknown to us. Calvary would only be known to its few personal witnesses. And the Holy Ghost would only be known to a few if it were not for the word of God. This is why David declares in Psalm 138 and verse number 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. And so the word of God has a preeminence. It is a final authority by which we judge our lives. Sermons should be preached from the word of God. I'm so grateful and thankful to be a part of a church that has a rich history of preaching the word of God. You might be able to come up with some illustrations and weave into there and what have you, but if all you're doing is talking about positive thinking and stuff like this and you're not preaching the word of God, something is wrong because the word of God is what produces power. As a matter of fact, sometimes I tell these young men that get up here and they, they start exhorting and, and edifying the church and preaching, the best thing that you could do is read the scripture because the scripture itself has power within it. You don't have to try to impress people. All you got to do is read the scripture. And if you read the scripture, there is authority that is connected to it. There is power that is connected to it. Our sermons should come from the word of God. There should be rich fabric in every sermon that has scripture in it. So the Bible is preeminent. It is what should be the authority when we judge our lives. Sermons that are preached, doctrines that are developed should come from the scripture. Organizational rules should come from the scripture. Spiritual gifts should be connected to the scripture. And pursuing the will of God in our life should should be connected to the scripture. I'm not talking about opening up the scripture and then randomly pointing your finger at a verse and say, that's the will of God. You better be very careful doing that because you could get yourself in a world of trouble and hurt. That's not how you approach the will of God. But 
You take the entire scripture and you apply it to your life. And then in that, you know there are some things that you are to do. And that becomes the will of God. And so it directs you. It guides you. It brings counsel to you. Amen. Praise God. Don't make a decision until you've prayed about it. Don't make a decision until you match the word of God to the prayer. And when you do those things and then the Holy Ghost helps you, you'll make right decisions. You will grow spiritually because the word is preeminent in everything that we do. Amen. Praise God. So all those things are built upon the word. Nothing bears rule and authority above the word of God. Not opinions. <laughs> not opinions. Not opinions. Many leaders, not culture, many leaders and many churches have acquiesced to popular culture and so they're preaching stuff that is erroneous because it is not the scripture. It becomes something that is part of popular opinion. We don't do things just because everybody else is doing it. That's one of the greatest arguments of any young person that has ever gone through teenage years is can I do this because everybody's doing it, okay? And a parent has to teach and respond by saying, just because everybody's doing something doesn't mean that you do it. And it can get really ridiculous because you can say stuff like, if everybody's running out into the street in the middle of traffic, does that mean that you're going to run out in the street in the middle of traffic? Of you're not going to do that because that is dangerous. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean the church does it. Just because the world is doing it and there's a narrative that is built and there's power connected to the narrative and so people want to get in a pulpit and kind of connect. Listen, that's not what the word of God was ever meant to be. The word of God was supposed to speak to us where we are wrong and where we need to measure up and to be right. Not popular opinion not based on a narrative that is out there, not because the media is saying it. We do what we do because the word of God says it. Amen. Praise God. And so our life is built around that. It is the lone standard by which we will be judged. Tradition pales and falls before the truth of Scripture. And so we've got to make the Bible the focal point of our lives. And this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 says it so very well in terms of how we should make it that focal point in our life. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So all the scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. And it is profitable for, it's profitable for teaching, that's what doctrine is. It's profitable for reproof, when there needs to be reproof. It's profitable for correction, correction where there needs to be correction. And it is profitable for instruction in righteousness. So the word of God brings all of these things into our spiritual walk with God and gives us focus. God's word is like rain and snow coming down. It gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 9, the prophet is talking about how valuable the word of God is. And he puts it this way. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so the word of God, it, it, when it goes forth, it doesn't return back void, but it accomplishes some things in our life. So the word of God is important to us. It's inspired by God. It is like rain and snow that comes down. It gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower. And it is also good for studying and rightly dividing the word of God. And there is a command to do this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I've got to be a workman in the scripture so that I won't be ashamed, but I know how to rightly divide the scripture. God's word was written for the following reasons, along with many more that we will not mention. But it's written so that we might believe, John chapter 20 and verse number 31, that we might be admonished. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that we may have eternal life. First John chapter 5 and verse number 13. So the word of God is operating in our life in all of these ways. And that certainly is not an exhaustive list. But the word of God is important. It is a check and balance. We don't just do things because we feel like doing them. We are connected to the word of God. And that keeps a balance in my life that provides harmony in my life. It's not based on my opinion. It's not based upon your opinion because we would go astray with many opinions. But we have to have something that is the focus of everything that we do. Our worldview is built upon the scripture and the word of God. And the word of God produces all of these things. It measures us, not by someone else. And not by ourselves, not by some other rule or measuring device, but it is the word of God that rules and measures in our life. You thankful for the word of God? Praise God. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have a foundation. But thank God there's something that is concrete. It is quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the word of God that brings to us the foolishness of preaching that saves us, forms us, shapes us. Praise God. Tonight in the house of God, thank God for the scripture that brings all of those things into perspective and keeps us grounded. The song says the anchor holds 
There are situations and circumstances in our life where you feel like everything is turned upside down. That's when you hang on to something that is greater and more powerful than you. It's not about your emotions because my emotions fly all over the place. But when I enter into those moments of difficulty, the word of God is a strength to me. This is one of the reasons why we promote Bible quizzing because when you memorize it, you never know when some of those scriptures are going to come back to you in moments and times of need. Sometimes it comes through preaching and teaching, but sometimes you're by yourself on your own trying to do your best and a word from the Lord comes to your mind because you put it there and it comes out in force and ability and you know there is something that is powerful that I have that I can grasp and hang on to. It is an anchor that anchors me in moments of difficulty. Praise God. I'm thankful when there's frailty that enters into this body, that I've got an anchor to my soul. Hallelujah. It is the word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So it's one of the checks and balances. And it's very, very important in our spiritual walk with God and in our discipleship and as a church that is founded upon the scripture. The second thing that is a check and balance is the ministry. God has given the ministry of the church as a governing element, and it helps us understand the meaning of his word. It helps us to understand the importance of the word, and that oversight is given to the ministry to to have oversight over the flock or to have oversight over the church. Anytime a local church gets out of harmony, checks and balances provide balance and harmony and growth. And when a church gets outside of that, when a, when, when a church allows deacons or elders or trustees or anyone else to control the church, then that local church is in trouble. Praise God. Amen. If a, if a local church gets outside of the word of God and the scripture, they're in deep trouble. But if people have control of a church and they're taking the oversight and not the pastoral authority, this is going to be a problem. I'm not talking about dictatorial, tyrannical, despot kind of leadership. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, situations that get uh, out of control and out of harmony, and therefore there is no pastoral oversight, and so you end up you end up with some pro you end up with problems. There's got to be leadership in the pulpit that has oversight over the church. Where and what would our lives be without the ministry? Without a shepherd's heart that is guiding and leading us in the right direction. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm thankful for pastoral authority and ministry in this church. I have a pastor. There are pastoral leaders in the church, and we work together to make sure that we are operating the way that we should be operating. Praise God. And we want that strong ability and inspiration and ministry to be in the house of God. The ministry is not the sole agency of protection in our lives, but it is an extremely important one. And God has given that to us as a gift. For in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, 
Scripture tells us that he gives to us the fivefold ministry. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete, mature, well-rounded, rowing unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That Here's why it's important. He, he gives us reasons that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the fivefold ministry is to edify. The five-fold ministry is to bring people into perfection or maturation. And it is to keep us from falling prey to deception, that we would not be tossed to and fro, but that we would be grounded. Amen. So there's a five-fold ministry. What are they? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So let's talk about each one of these. What, what is an apostle? What is a prophet? What is an evangelist? What is a pastor? And what is a teacher? And, and given the context of the scripture, what does that mean? And what does it mean for us today? <clears throat> and that, I think, is what is significant is because when we look at apostles and prophets, we have to recognize that in that first century, there was something more significant about apostles and prophets at that time. Whatever it means later, that's, that's fine. And there's a, you, there you can go into different kinds of interpretation. Apostolos has different meanings. One of the meanings is simply a messenger that goes out. And yet there are definitions in the scripture about apostles in that first century that had more significance than whatever it means after that. All right? So an apostle as defined by that first century and some of the things that Paul himself states is that an apostle was one that was with Jesus in his ministry and then Jesus sent them out. So that, that is very, very significant. That is a significance that's not going to be transferred to any other apostle, right? Because there were only those that were with Jesus that saw him, that were with him, and that were sent out by him. So there's different meanings, but there are apostles that are mentioned, like Paul, Barnabas, James, Silas, Junius, Andronicus. They are mentioned, and then there are others that are mentioned that are not even named that were called apostles. But Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that the necessary qualification of an apostle was to have seen the risen Lord and to have been sent out by him and to have been engaged as a foundation 
member for the building up of the church. So that's something that is significant, whatever it means. After that, there is significance attached to those individuals above and beyond anything else. So if you look at some verses where it talks about apostolos as being a messenger going out, I, I believe they're in the modern context, people that have gone out. One of the hallmarks of an apostle was signs, wonders, and miracles. So the work was also attached. They were with Jesus. They were sent out by Jesus, and great things happened, and they were called an apostle. So very high level of respect and regard, especially in the first century. So whatever it means after the first century as people being sent out as messengers should have the same kind of hallmark. What, basically what I'm saying is this. You don't call somebody an apostle unless there is great, great reason to do so. Because it, it was a very, very significant thing. Now, are there some that we would say that person went to a, con a continent, was sent by God, created uh, major works and ramifications that might be called a messenger? Yes, I think you can say that. But in terms of applying that same understanding to the apostles in the first century, you can't do that. That's what I'm saying. You can't do that because they were very, very instrumental and important. And working with them in cohort with them were the prophets. The prophets were also working in cohort with them, closely associated to building the church from its foundation. They were gifts of Christ to the church, and they were prophets. This is a little hard, harder for us to see, uh, but they do stand out clearly from the New Testament as people that gave inspired utterances, and they spoke of things of utmost importance to a young church. In the Old Testament, the prophets were forth tellers. They would bring to light with conviction, power, and strength to the church through exhortation. And so they were foretellers. They were able to look beyond the present and prophesy about the future and say, uh, there's blessing or cursing coming if you don't align yourself to the work of God or the things of God. And so they were able to pull from the future into the present and prophesy and say things that would bring edification. And so the prophets in that first century were also very, very important. The lines are a little more blurry because I believe there's still people that can speak specifically about things in the future, bring them into the pre present, and prophesy and edify a church. We're not talking about prophecy that decides on whether or not you're having a boy or a girl before the child is born. That's not what I'm talking about. That, that is sensationalism, and that kind of stuff makes me very, very nervous. But I have been in, in situations where somebody speaks about situations in the church or situations in the lives of individual and people that is right out of the future, brought to the present, and they speak it with authority, and you're able to make changes in your life, and you recognize that was a word from the Lord. Praise God. Somebody said amen. I'm not boring you to death here tonight, am I? I hope I'm not. You're just looking at me. I think you might be listening. I hope, I hope you are. Now, why would you have apostles and prophets that were so pronounced in the first century that are not as pronounced in the latter centuries and in the modern context where now we typically talk about evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Why would there be a kind of a 
maybe a shifting in terms of the importance. Well, stop and think about this. I think this is one of the reasons why. Jesus died in 32 A.D., uh, 33, some, some 32, 32, 33. The first book that was written in the New Testament is about 55 or 60 from what they can, they can assess and tell. So there is a period where there is no written word. It is, it's based on oral tradition. So why would you need somebody that had authority like an apostle? Because the apostles were with Jesus. So they had authority. They had credibility. So if you didn't have something in your hand as the Bible or a book or a letter or an epistle, you had somebody that walked with Jesus that had authority, and you had prophets that also worked with them to solidify the church. This was, again, it's not built upon opinion. It's built upon the Word of God. And so the Word of God, for a period of time, was oral tradition. This is one of the reasons why Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John have what we call pericopes. They have standard forms. You can tell they're very short. And they're succinct, and that's why there's harmony between the Gospels, is because the church, during that oral tradition period, put those things into order and used them in the life of the church. So when it came to be that they were written down, Luke said, I gathered all the materials and everything, and I put this down on page. Where did he get that? He got that information from oral tradition and the apostles and the prophets that were with Jesus, that were the authority on the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus, and the sending out of Jesus. So once there is a scripture that ends up in the hands of individuals, then the church can start utilizing it, and this is where churches start becoming established. Paul's going out on missionary journeys, churches are becoming established, then he starts appointing people over those churches who now have the scripture, and that's where a pastor over a local congregation comes to play, and teachers become important, and evangelists that are going around helping establish these first fledgling churches to become strong. And so you can see why now we talk more about evangelists, pastors, and teachers more than we talk about apostles and prophets, although they're still in operation, but in a less, um, in a, a, a less of a sense, because we're not talking about the first century. The primary, is everybody okay with that? Is that okay? Is that something you didn't know? If it's something you didn't know, raise your hand. All right, praise God. Well, good. Then we got something accomplished here tonight. <laughs> what is that for? What is that five-fold ministry for? It is to equip us so that we can work effectively in the church and strengthen the body of Christ. That's what it's for. And so there's some responsibilities in that uh, ministry and in that work and in that five-fold ministry. There's two areas that are very, very important. There's a relationship between the minister and the church member, and then there is the relationship between the minister and the saint. So what is our responsibility to the ministry? These are all based upon scripture, so I'm just going to run through them. I'm not going to read every scripture. But our responsibility to the ministry should be this. Remember those who have the rule over us, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7. We should remember those 
that have the rule over us. We should, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, we should esteem them very highly in love. There should be a certain amount of respect for the ministry because the ministry along with the word of God is the check and balance in our life. We should obey them that have the rule over us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17. Some people get real fearful over that rule word because it, it feels domin domineering. And that's, that's not the point there. The instruction over us, the oversight over us. We should count them worthy of double honor. These are, this is our responsibility to the ministry. We should salute them. Now, if you salute me, you know, don't do that. that what that means, <laughs> what, that, what that means is that you greet them with respect and kindness. <clears throat> Not that you give some formal salute. That's, I, I saw a church online. I'm amazed. Uh, somebody, Brother Doug Walker, showed it to me. There's a church on the East Coast that has apostolic origins. But it is the wildest, craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. They have a marching band with horns. And it's pomp and circumstance. They bring the minister in on this cart, and they're all playing horns and jumping up and down. It is the craziest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. It's not, that's, that's not what the scripture is talking about when it talks about saluting. It means greet with respect and kindness to those that have the oversight over us. Do not muzzle them, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 18. Do not receive an accusation against them except before two or three witnesses. So that is the responsibility that we have to the ministry. So what is the responsibility of the minister to us? That should be that the minister should feed the flock of God, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. That the minister should reprove and rebuke with all Long suffering, not as a tyrant, not as a dictator, but reprove and rebuke with all long suffering. That the minister should preach the word, that he should make disciples, baptize and teach them to observe all things that the Lord has commanded. That he should command and teach what God's word declares. That he should give direction for our lives, as Paul did to the Corinthian church, and that he should teach and exhort believers to obey God's commands. So the word of God is important. It is a check and balance and the ministry is important so that there is a check and balance. And these two factors work together so that we can grow. Praise God. And then the last one here tonight is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a powerful, restraining and motivating force in us. You know, sometimes the Holy Ghost will open doors and sometimes the Holy Ghost, the Spirit will shut doors. There's some things that the Spirit of God will open to us and say, go. And then there's some things that are closed and the Spirit will say, stop. We know this because in Acts chapter 16, the Spirit forbade Paul to preach in Asia. Told him not to go to Asia on a particular occasion. The Spirit of God will teach us some things. So it becomes, again, part of our checks and balances. The Spirit of God will bring to our remembrance while it is teaching us things in our life that will bring strength to us and the Spirit directs us. It brings to us the grace of God that teaches us some essential things after we are saved. The Spirit of God works 
along with the word of God and works along with the ministry to make sure that there are checks and balances in our lives. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to skip over a few things regarding convictions. I'll just say this. There are universal convictions that the scripture reveals to us. There are personal convictions. If you have a personal conviction, that is great. You should hold on to that personal conviction because it's edifying to you. It shouldn't go against the grain of scripture. It should not be something that is salvific. Every once in a while, some folks will come through or pass by and, and everything will be okay for a while and they'll insert something that becomes a point of contention. It's a personal conviction. It is not a biblical doctrine. And so then that becomes a problem. So my personal convictions, those are there for me personally. So I'm not going to push those onto other people as if they are salvation if it's a personal conviction. If it's a universal conviction, it is something that is coming from the word of God that we all align ourselves with. It shouldn't contradict, rest, subtract, or add to the scripture. It's not something that is specifically approved or disapproved by the Bible. It's only binding to me. I'm not opposing it on other people, although I can share that with them. It will complement and enhance godliness in my individual life. It's reasonable. I can, live, I can live it by the help of God. I'm not teaching it as a requirement to be saved. It's not there to create an offense if other people can't abide by them. It's personal, private. It's individual points of dedication that we joyfully abide by for a deep personal fulfillment and a desire to please God. So there's the word of God, there's the ministry in our lives, and then there are there is the spirit of God that directs us. These become checks and balances to produce in us harmony, to produce in us balance, and to produce in us growth. These things are very, very important. This is why when we read in our text, Paul said, and I'm coming to a conclusion here tonight, that Paul said in our text, as he laid all of that out about how he tries to reach out and respond and he's, he's not offensive to some and he becomes something for somebody else to try to save them, that at the end of it he talks about personal responsibility and he says, I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is saying there's some checks and balances in my life that keep me ordered and structured and directed so that I, having preached to some people, don't myself become a castaway. These things are tremendous guidelines in our life, and God has placed them in our life as governing elements to grow us and develop us. Amen. And then he's also placed in our lives the fellowship of our brothers and sisters, and we should treat each other with respect, the body, the church should have the same care for each member. Amen. Not to run roughshod through life, do what we want, buy what we want, go where we want with flagrant disregard for others. That's displeasing to God. Amen. But we're all in this thing together and we're in balance and in harmony. And there's some guardrails that God has put up and checks and balances so that we can grow together. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm thankful that you're here in the house of God. You're important to me. And if we're going to do the work of God, we have to work together. Amen. 
Praise God. True Christianity, true Christianity should walk softly so as not to create division, strife, disharmony, or offenses. And so I don't want somebody to stumble. I don't want to be someone that offends, and I don't want to make other people weak. I want to make them stronger. This is why encouragement and speaking positively and not gossiping and backbiting and tearing down, this, this does nothing for the church. But if we allow these checks and balances in our life to build us up, key word in a lot of the verses that we read, to the edification of the church, if we're edifying each other, we're building each other up, and that helps the work of God become much, much easier. You're not going to have revival where there's contention and strife and disorder and chaos. But when things are unified and there is harmony and people are working together, there is a powerful anointing that takes place. Revival breaks out. Services are powerful. People gravitate to that. They want to feel after that. They want to be that. They want to be discipled by that. Praise God. So that should be our prayer. That's what, what we should desire. And sometimes you got us. We stand together. Sometimes you have to prune some things out. You, you don't need to come. Um, we're just going to end tonight with prayer. You don't. Sometimes you have to prune some things and purge some things and realign some priorities. Sometimes we have to look at our character and conduct. These are all ongoing processes in living for God. We don't lock onto it and, and live there. It's the same, same in relationships. In relationships, you're going to have high moments, low moments. There is a place where relationships are like a, an isosceles triangle. An isosceles triangle, if you know what that means, has the same uh, measurements. The, the legs are the same measurements, an isosceles triangle. And so in relationships, you've got three different areas that are very, very important. You have intimacy. You've got, um, I forgot. I don't know. I just know it's a triangle. <laughs> I haven't done much premarital counseling lately, so I've forgotten what, what the three sides are. But they're really important. <laughs> and, you <laughs> and, and you can lock on. You can, you can sometimes, sometimes it's swayed, you know, sometimes and it's obtuse. And there's one area of the triangle that is stronger than the other areas. And you can lock onto that isosceles triangle where every side is perfect. And your relationship is perfect. Perfect. But you don't stay there because life has got up and downs. So sometimes you got to readjust that. And you got you to get that back in alignment. So there, there are times when in your marriage you're going to say we were locked on the isosceles triangle. You won't say that, but you understand what I'm saying. Say, baby, we are, we are locked on to the isosceles triangle. She's probably going to look at you like you've lost your mind. But you lock on to that where things are in balance, harmony, and growth. That's it. I mean, that's three sides right there in, in a spiritual sense. Harmony, balance, and growth. And so... Sometimes you are locked in on that, and sometimes you're out of harmony, and so your growth suffers, and so there's the triangle looks different. And so you got to go back to that, and you got you to work on that to, to make sure those things come back into play. 
and there's a successful relationship that continues because it's work. Relationships are work. And living for God is work. I don't, I probably, I don't need to tell you that, right? Living for God is work. It took work for you to get here because you, who knows what happened in your day today. <laughs> but you got here. Why? Because there was a discipline in your life that said, I need to be at the house of God because I'm trying to work, work on some things, right? So there are checks and balances that help us lock in and, and, and grow to that place where God can use us to the best of our abilities. But sometimes we got to alter things and adjust things, reprioritize some things. You know what I'm talking about? This is real talk, okay? This is, this is real talk. This is really, really where things matter. And God has given to us his word. Praise God, his word. Brother Gary's been coming. He came to me and he said, you know what, man, I, 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 uh, I try to get the scripture. I'm trying to figure out where all the books are and chapter and verse. And when somebody's up there preaching and I, by the time I get to it, it's already over. And we had a great, great conversation about daily reading and scripture and and so we we talked about a bible that would be good and he ended up with a bible and he he started incorporating in that in his daily life and he's ahead of where he's supposed to be because he's fallen in love with the word of god the word of god is one of those things in our life praise god it's one of those things in our life it's a check and a balance and then the ministry good ministry. I'm not talking about terrible ministry, and there's there's terrible ministry. I'm talking about good ministry that is taking the oversight because they love people. That's good ministry. That's a check and a balance. And then the Holy Ghost operating. You take all of those things, and then the people of God working together brings us into where we need to be to grow and develop they're agents that help us in our progress. They enhance our lives. And it all comes when we submit. Nobody can force you. Nobody can coerce you. Nobody can tell you. It's something that you bring to God and you say, here I am. I'm coming to you in humbleness. That's, that's a great ending right there, don't you think? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all myself to you. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Your spirit move in me. Here I am. Sing it together. Praise God. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all. To you, here I am. 
God, you sing it. lift up our voice and praise him together. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I come to you tonight in humbleness. Praise God. I want to submit to the checks and balances, the governing elements in a saint's life. Let your word be a strength to me. I thank you for the oversight of the ministry. I thank you for the Holy Ghost. Praise God. We worship you and we praise you. Amen. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. We need to pray for Sister Nina Jenkins, who's been in the hospital uh, struggling a little bit. I want to pray that God brings healing and strength to her. Sister Lois Frost, still recovering from the surgery that she had. I saw Sister Linda Wilson here tonight. Praise God. We, we're happy about that. So let's clap our hands and amen. We need to pray for uh, Brother Nathan Cox, his father pastors in Montana, and slipped on the snow, hit his head, uh, pretty serious injury, and trying to uh, recover from that. So there are other people that are taking care of the church, Brother Rushing and some others, but uh, we want to pray for him, that God strengthens him and brings healing to him. You see this week's prayer request projected on the wall here tonight. Amen. If there is a request that you would like to join with all of these, praise God. Let's do that together and pray together right now. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your greatness and your goodness. I pray that healing and virtue would flow to individuals who are in need. We honor you and thank you. Praise you and recognize that there is a power that comes when we speak in your name. We say in Jesus' name, and we ask for your authority and your ability and your virtue and your healing to flow. In Jesus' name, to individuals. Touch all of our elders, Lord. I thank you and praise you. Touch every endeavor that we're involved in, Lord. Let it be for your glory. Let it be for your honor. We'll be careful to thank you and to praise you. We acknowledge that. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Tomorrow night is Amplified Youth Choir Practice. Remember, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. Make sure, men, that you sign that up so that they know how much food to prepare for on Saturday.